Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. It's been a little while since uh, the associate pastor of all the New Day campuses has been here. Pastor Mark is here to share with us. He's normally in Vandalia leading that campus, but he's here with us today. Would you give him a big warm welcome? Thank you. Hi, Ethel. Thank you. Awesome. So good to be here. Yeah, a very special episode of New Day Community Church this morning. A special guest episode. Awesome. So good to, to be with you guys here again. I think the last time I was here was during the Journey to Easter series. Uh, so Amber and I are back, and we're always excited to be back at the Mother Church. Things are going uh, very well. In, in Vandalia. Uh, they send their greetings to you, and we just appreciate the, the support and the love that, that we get from, from this church uh, for what is happening in Cass County. It's really exceptional, and we could not do it without the, the support of New Day Nichols. So, today we are continuing our series on generosity. Jimmy kicked this off last week, and if you missed that, you can always go to our website and you can listen to any message uh, on the website or your favorite podcast player of choice. But today I'm continuing in our generosity series. But before we get into that, I think it's important that we realize that there is a right response for ourselves, each one of us. There is a right response in a variety of situations. All right? And so we're going to look in a minute about the, the right response of, of our hearts to a generous God. But before we get that, just to, to, to help you guys out, um, I want to share with you what is the right response in, say you're walking, taking a walk in the, the beautiful fall or winter in Michigan, and you run across one of the dangerous uh, Michigan grizzlies. You know, what, what, are the, what is the, the right response? Uh, run... That's in, interesting. Well, maybe, maybe running is not the right response. And so this is actually really good that I'm sharing this. This could save <laughs> lives today. All right. First off, uh, if you happen to be carrying bear pepper spray, that exists. Um, so, you know, carry that with you. Your bear pepper spray is going to make the grizzly uh, run away. But if you, if you don't happen to have your bear pepper spray on you, please do not run. It's the worst thing you can do, right? Bears, grizzly bears, are very fast. They can run up to 30 miles per hour, right? And so the best thing you can do is drop to the ground in a fetal position and cover the back of your neck. Um, let's just say I, I googled bear attack to find this picture, and there were some less pleasant ones. <laughs> so the grizzly, bear, <laughs> the grizzly bear is going to beat you up. The grizzly bear is going to bat you around, but just stay down. And eventually, he will wander off. Good news. But at that point, some people make the mistake of getting up. Do not get up at that point. <laughs> grizzly bears also hang around to see if their victims will get up. So stay down. But here's the trick. Here's the trick, guys. You also might run into a black bear. A black bear is different. You cannot play dead with a black bear. You have to find a stick, you have to find a rock, and you have to convince the bear that you are willing to fight to the death. And if you do that, he will back down and run away. But you have to convince yourself first. 
Okay? You will fight to the death. All right, so now you guys know the, the right response to how, how do we correctly respond to a grizzly or a black bear attack. So welcome. If we could have the prayer team come forward. <laughs> kidding. So, so just as there is a correct response to dealing with a grizzly bear attack, there's also a correct response in our receiving the glorious grace and salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. All right in the middle of this bear thing. <laughs> Oh, right. Just like there's lots of those right ways to respond to various situations, like bear attacks, there's a right way to respond to the graciousness of the Lord. There, that's where we were, friends. And today, while we're going to talk specifically about our response to the Lord in regards to our finances. How do we respond to the Lord with our money? And, and the reason that we are talking about this is that you know, nationwide, people say, why won't the church talk about money more? They just want to hear the church talk more about money. So we're doing that. And secondly, uh, the, the, the Bible does not pull any punches or hold back from talking about our finances and our relationship with finances. So it is important that we realize that money and how we handle our money is an important part of our discipleship process as we uh, walk out being followers of Christ Jesus. We see in Proverbs, now this is not a proverb of Solomon, this is a proverb of Agur. Actually, he's my favorite. Uh, he says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, may, or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. And so what we see here is it's, it's not about how much money we have, right? We could have a ton of money and have a bad relationship with our finances. We could have no money and have bad relationship with our finances, and we could be anywhere in between. It's important that we think about our relationship with money and what we are supposed to do with it as Christ followers. And the, the reason is that how we spend our money, how we use our finances, reveals our heart. Okay? Uh, where our money goes shows what we value, right? You put money into things that you care about. Your car, your home, your guitars, um, for, for, for me, you know, my, my education, I put a lot of money into the, our, our education because I value that. I pay a, a quite a good chunk of money over the years so my kids can be in marching band, right? Because I value that experience for them, right? Also, if you came over to my house, you would see a bookshelf filled with, with board games, and you would say, wow, maybe he values that too much. <laughs> Amber says, no, please buy more. I want to play more games with you. So I do, because I value Amber as well. You're welcome, honey. Right? But if we, if we say we value something and we don't actually spend any money on it or any time or any thought about it, we have to ask ourselves, do I actually care about this thing? Or am I just paying lip service to it? Do I just like how other people view me if I say that I care about this thing or that thing. Right? If we say that we care about clean water in Africa or in Jackson, but we don't actually do anything about it, we just complain on Facebook or something, right? do we actually care about that thing? 
uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And James is specifically talking about our finances. Where are we willing to, to give, right, to the poor and the, the needy? You know, those who are, are struggling. Or are we just going to say, oh, bless you, I'll, I'll pray that that situation gets taken care of. So what we do with our money is important. Today we're going to look at two Old Testament stories and one New Testament story that show uh, the proper heart attitude as it relates to our giving to the Lord, right? Because what we find throughout scriptures is it's not just giving that's important. It's actually the heart attitude that leads us to give that is incredibly important. And so we're going to start by looking at the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Right? And this is very early in the biblical narrative. This is, you know, right after they've, Adam and Eve have fallen. They've been kicked out of the garden. They are trying to be fruitful and multiply. And so we have Genesis 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So from the very beginning, we see before the law, Right? The law is not going to be given for a, for a long time as the story continues. There was this expectation that faithful followers of Yahweh or faithful followers of the Lord are going to bring an offering, right? And bring an offering from their produce, right? One guy brought his, his herds. He was a shepherd, so he brought some of that, right? And then one guy was a farmer, so he brought some of his grain or wheat or whatever, right? And so there's this kind of this expectation that we see from the very beginning that people bring an offering to the Lord. But in this story, one offering is received by the Lord and one has been rejected. And so we ask ourselves, well, why is one received and one not received? And there is a, a lot of theories out there. There's a lot of kind of crazy theories out there, and, and I don't know about all of those, but I think that there's something that we can see in the text that gives us a real solid clue, right? It says that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil, and so as we look at this from the, the Old Testament's perspective, the kind of the, what, the idea that they're communicating is that it's like, it's the day of the offering, Cain wakes up. He's like, what day is today? Oh, man, it's offering day. He looks around and he gets some of his grain and some of his pomegranates and some of his watermelon or whatever it is that he's raising, some of that stuff, and he brings it to the Lord. Okay, good. But then Abel also brings an offering. 
But it says that Abel brings the fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Now, we don't use this kind of language very much anymore, right? But what he's communicating is that he, Abel brought the best parts of his best animals. This wasn't just, he didn't wake up and go, oh, what day is it? Oh, it's offering day. Here's this sheep and here's this goat. We'll take those to the Lord, right? He, the idea or what we pick up from, from this text is that Abel gets up and realizes that it's offering day. And he's like, I have been saving the best parts of the best flock to bring as an offering to the Lord my God. And so we see in the book of Hebrews shines some more light onto this text. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Right? Abel's offering was brought in faith. It was a, it was a declaration of trust in the Lord. Right? It appears that Cain's was kind of an, an afterthought. It was without faith. It was just a formality. And we don't really know the proportions that Cain or Abel brought to the Lord. They could have been the exact same amount. Cain could have brought more. We don't know, but it is the heart attitude that brings this, uh, this offering to the Lord as a declaration of worship. And so when we think about bringing an offering to the Lord... Right? We want to do it in such a way that it is an expression of our worship to the Lord. And as I was preparing this message, I realized it has been a long time since I've brought like cash or a check to the church. Right? I just sit at my desk and I type it in to the bank and the bank sends off a, off a check. And it just becomes this routine. And FYI, we're very grateful for people who are just in the routine of sending their offering, <laughs> tithes and offering. Thank you, that's great. But... But my point is that am, I was thinking, am I missing an aspect of giving to the Lord by just sending it off? It's just become this routine. Because I, I lose that thing where I can bring the, the check and I can put it in the offering as part of our worship. As significant, as important as, you know, publicly singing together and lifting up the name of Jesus like we do on Sunday mornings. Bringing that check and putting that in the offering is a declaration of, God, I trust you. Lord, I thank you for all that you have poured into me. I thank you that you are my provider and my trust is in you and not in myself. And so I give back to you as an offering of worship. Right, so that is the first thing. We want to recognize that our heart is important when we give. Right? Not just a formality, but a passionate response to the joyful blessing, the abundant blessing and generosity of the Lord. So we are going to continue to story number two that looks at the heart of those who are giving financially to the Lord, and we're going to move uh, forward in the biblical timeline to the very end of First Chronicles. Uh, I don't actually spend a lot of time in First Chronicles, so I'm just going to give a little bit of background. If you know don't worry, it's not for you, it's for me and the other people that don't know exactly what's happening here in 1 Chronicles. It's the end of King David's life, and King David is a, a big deal in, in Israel. 
right? He is the, this, he's taken over for Saul. He has uh, just built this amazing uh, palace for, for himself, and he is known throughout the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. His heart was to, to bless and to, to worship the Lord. He had seen the Lord provide for him and his family over the years. He, uh, as a faithful Israelite, remembered just the, the importance of God delivering Israel from Egypt, leading them through the, 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 the desert, bringing them into the promised land, giving them the kingdom, protecting them from enemies, forgiving them when they had strayed. God was so good. His covenant faithfulness was so strong that David's heart was to respond back and to give back generously to the Lord. And so he just built himself this super nice palace and everybody in his family was living there and it was great. But David's, at the end of his life, he sees all this bounty that is surrounding him and he's like, God, why should I get to live in this amazing temple and you're, we're still worshiping you in that tent outside? Let me build you a temple. And God says, no, 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 no. You won't build me a, a temple, but your son Solomon will. He says, okay. Uh, and, but let me get Solomon prepared. Let me get everything in order so that Solomon can effectively build this temple for the Lord. And that's where we pick up the story here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> uh, the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. Right? He's excited about building this big palace, this big temple for the Lord. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Right, so what he's saying is he's given all the from the storehouses of Israel, he is pouring their finances into the building of this temple. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls in the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? So David, in this story, gives fully from the kingdom resources. Now I imagine that some of that David and the, the leaders of Israel had some plans and purposes for these resources that they had stored up. Maybe we should build up the army to, to protect us from invaders, right? Like maybe we should build some, some aqueducts or, uh, I don't know, maybe a library. I don't know what they're going to do with this money. But they had all this money, and David says, forget those plans. We're pouring it into the temple of God, right? That is the most important thing that we can do. And to, to prove that I, I'm serious about that, I'm not just giving of the, the kingdom's treasuries, I'm giving all that I have. All my personal treasure is going into the building of this temple. 
and I don't know if David's wife was kind of expecting they were going to take a cruise later that summer, and she's like, well, we were saving that money up for the cruise, and David's like, no, things are changed, right? We're giving it to the temple. Oh, great. So don't ever take a vacation. <laughs> kidding, just kidding. Kidding. That's not, that's not my point. My point isn't that we shouldn't drive nice cars or live in nice houses or wear nice clothes or get education or go on vacation, but we cannot let our money take control of us, right? We need to respond to God's goodness and his love in our lives and beyond with generous generosity. To joyfully give back to the Lord is the, the right response to a heart that is devoted to him. And this is the heart that we see in David, a heart devoted to the Lord, and he is excited about blessing the Lord with this temple. Story continues, says, Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly... And David the king also rejoiced greatly. No surprise, David was excited to see that all of the people of Israel, all of the families, all of the officers, all of the commanders got excited about this vision to build this temple for the Lord. They also recognized all that God had done for them. And they were ready. Let's do this. Let's bless God with this temple. And then in verse 10, David, in front of the assembly that has just brought all these finances into the temple, prays this beautiful prayer, and it really reveals uh, a lot to us about, just so gives us some insight into money and into our possessions and into giving. So we're just going to look at this prayer of David here. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord the, uh, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So David says everything is the Lord's. Everything that we have, all the treasures in our storehouses, all the, every dollar bill in our checking account, our houses, in our clothes, in our food, in our cars, everything that we have is the Lord's. And we're just giving back to him what is already his. It's like asking your parents for money so that you can buy them a present. When my kids were in elementary school at Angling Road Elementary in Portage, every Christmas season, probably around this time, they would have this little shop that would open up in the, in the cafeteria. And we would give Molly $5 and Josh $5 and Emma $5, and they would go to this shop to, um, to buy presents for their, their family members or, or whoever. Um, and apparently, this shop was made of garbage. <laughs> Just garbage that they had found and thought, I bet some kid will buy this. <laughs> they don't know any better. Right? And so, no offense, kids. <laughs> and so, uh, this is going to go somewhere in a second. 
So, so imagine this. So there's just this stuff around, and none of it's great. But imagine my, my kids walking around this cafeteria, and the tables are lined with just trinkets and, and things, and they've got this $5 that I gave them, uh, and they're looking around, but what is going on in their mind, right, is they're like, what is something that my dad would love? Right? What is something dad would love? And I can just picture little Josh, cute little Josh, walking around through the, through the aisles, looking, and they're kind of sticking out behind some little stuffed animal or something is a statue, a little statue, a little trophy that says world's greatest dad on it. And so he's like, that's it. That's what I'm going to get. Right, so he purchased that. He wraps it up. He brings it home. Christmas morning, I'm opening up, I don't know, sweaters or jeans or whatever. I have no idea what else I may have gotten that Christmas. But I open that up, and there's a little statue in there that says, World's Greatest Dad. And that was the most meaningful present that I got the whole year. Right? And it's, <laughs> and it's, the, it's, the, it's the same thing for us. Right? The Lord has given us so much. And he's called us to, to give back to him. He's given us this opportunity to bring offerings as a blessing to him. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our offering. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need anything. And yet, when we bring that thing to him that he paid for, oh, he loves it. Everything is the Lord's. We're just giving back to him what's already his. And he is so grateful. Isn't that amazing that we can affect the heart of God? That's amazing. Okay. Pressing on. Verse 12, David says, Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So they come, they recognize that everything is the Lord's, and they're excited to, to come and give thanks and praise to God. Right, but it wasn't just praise. Right? It was something that cost them. I think four or five, six chapters earlier, David wants to give an offering to the Lord, but he doesn't have any animals to, to bring as an offering. Somebody comes up to him and says, here's a bull you can offer for the sacrifice. And Dave says, David says, great, how much, do, how much do I owe you? Oh, you can have it, King David. David refuses. I'm not going to give an offering to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. And so as important as it is for us to, to come and, and worship the, the Lord together, to, to vocally give thanks and praise, the declaration of the worth of God here corporately, we also want to, to give something that costs us. Because that is a, a declaration that my hope and my trust and my faith is not in my own ability to provide for myself. But it's in you. You gave me all this. I'm just giving you a portion back. So let's praise not just in words, but in action and in sacrifice. And as we move through the, the biblical story, we find that giving did not end in the Old Testament. Shoot. So 
Uh, so there's still an expectation that we are going to bring an offering to the Lord. Right? And as Christ followers, it is expected that we are going to give. That's the expectation. There is a gentleman by the name of Tom Brady. He is a football player. He plays, yes, he plays football for the New England Patriots, uh, and he is going to make about $14 million this year from playing quarterback. I imagine that he'll make quite a bit more than that from, from ads and, and things. So, but he's going to get $14 million for playing, uh, being quarterback of the New England Patriots. So imagine that Tom Brady gets his paycheck. He's very excited to be on the team. Uh, he's just bought some new Ugg boots. He's ready. He's ready to go. And, and he's, he's at the game. He's all, he's all suited up. And the, the, the game starts. There's the kickoff. Tom's rooting the team on. And then all of a sudden, the, the coach, who knows what his name, Bill Belichick, the world's greatest coach. I don't know. He is. He is. Uh, so, so Bill Belichick says, Tom, it's time to go in there. It's time to, to win this game. And Tom goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't know about this. It's pretty dangerous out there. Those guys are pretty big. A lot of guys getting hurt. A lot of guys getting hit pretty hard. I think it might be better if you just protect your investment in me and I'll just sit here on the bench. <laughs> right? That's ridiculous. Uh, Tom and every player on the New England Patriots is expected that when they're called on, they are going to get in the game. Right? And the, just like Tom and the New England Patriots are expected, our expectation as Christ followers is that we are going to give back to the Lord. No cheers? <laughs> Weird. Okay. <laughs> All right. But this is not just me. I didn't say this. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. He said in Matthew 6, verses 1 to 2, he said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets in order to be honored by others. There is an expectation that we are going to give back. We are going to give to the needy. And again, as we saw in the, in the story of Cain and Abel, the heart attitude is incredibly important, right? Don't give so that people look at you and think you're amazing. Don't even let your right hand know what your left is doing, but give. You are going to give. This was part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking to people that are going to follow him, right? And there's three things that he talks about that are expected of Christ followers. You're going to pray, you're going to fast, and you're going to give. Now, none of these are ways that we earn our way into the kingdom. None of these make God love us more. These aren't, you know, legalistic rules so that we, uh, you know, can be, that God loves us. Right? This is our joyous response to the love that God has poured out on us. Because God has given us so much, we pray. Because God has given us so much, we fast. Because God has given us so much, we give. He's given us family and friends. He's given us forgiveness from our sin, brought us from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of his son. He's given us an eternal hope 
All of our finances are from him. The, the spiritual gifts that we receive from the Holy Spirit, our family, and on and on. He's given us to the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us so much. Freely. We've been brought into his family. And so now, the right response for a heart that is devoted to the Lord is to joyously give back to him. So now you know what the right response is if you run into a grizzly bear or a black bear. You're welcome. And you know the right response for a heart that is fully devoted to the Lord. But what would it, what would it look like if uh, the, the church worldwide caught this vision, this New Testament vision of giving? One article that I read said that tithers, and that is giving 10% of your income, tithe just means 10%, tithers make up only 10 to 25% of normal congregations. So most, in most churches, 10 to 25% of people give a tithe. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes. Tithes. Tithes? Tithes. <laughs> tithes. Can we edit that? Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. 2%. And according to this article, if all of the church worldwide bought into this idea of, say, giving 10%, the church would have $165 billion dollars. And imagine the uh, church that was committed to the scriptures, a, a church that was committed to the, the spiritual teachings of, of Jesus and the, the social teachings of the Bible. What could we do as a community worldwide with $165 billion? I don't know, but it would be a lot. We could solve a lot of problems. But what would it look like if we, as a community of the three New Day community churches, you know, if we bought into this idea of giving, of generously giving? And actually, the reality is New Day is an incredibly, incredibly generous church. Incredible. The first three quarters of the year, we gave away over $77,000 to local and international missions. In the midst of raising this hundred thousand dollars for the 320 and beyond campaign which is going to you know position each church to more effectively minister the gospel and meet actual needs of people in all three communities right but what would the the impact be if we could go above and beyond that i don't know that could be amazing But some people, when they, when they hear a teaching like this, this isn't, I want to remove shame, remove judgment, res, re, remove just any heaviness. Right? I remember you know, getting saved and somebody telling me that I should give 10%. Like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Gross? <laughs> no, no, no. That's crazy. So, but you know, it, this doesn't make any sense. If you're going through life and you've never given, ten, you know, you've never given to the church for it, all of a sudden give 10%, it's pretty radical. Now, there is that story in, in Luke where Jesus told the rich young ruler to give everything to the poor. 
So maybe in that case, 10% is not as much. But this is, a, this is a no condemnation zone, right? And so my encouragement to you would be to, to remove shame, remove condemnation, and just begin to give faithfully. And you don't have to do 10%. I don't care what you do. Give $5. Many people are struggling to, to make ends meet. We know that. But we also recognize that there is a, a scriptural truth that we see throughout the Old and New Testament that giving reveals our heart and giving is a vital part of our discipleship process. So give five bucks. Give two bucks. And I believe that if you step out in faith, God is going to bless you. And as you see increase, you know, maybe, you know, in six months, all of a sudden you surprisingly get a check in the mail or surprise, you get a, a raise at work or surprise, you get a new job, whatever. I don't know how God is going to bless you. Maybe he's not going to bless you financially. We don't give so we can receive, right? It's not what I'm saying. But, I, but God in Malachi did say, test me in this. So we can, can give to the Lord and expect that we're going to see a return on that investment financially or spiritually or in, in some way. Okay? Am I clear on that? Okay, yeah. <laughs> good. Okay, so, but when you give five bucks, you see God increase, may step out and go, all right, now I'm going to raise this up to $10. You see God bless you, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise this up to 20 with a, with a goal of maybe 10% would be a good goal. But biblically, I think that generosity is not about a number. It's not about a number, but it is this heart that is fully devoted to God.